Do others hear buzzing? You hear Thank buzzing? You. Thank you for that reminder. Very, very good. How's that? <laughs> perfect, perfect. It's funny, I can't hear it, but from people's reaction, it must be rather irritating. <laughs> yes, I see some nodding heads. <laughs> Chat. There's a chat. If anyone needs a copy of the book, I have an extra. Cool. Thank you, Lori Abbott. All right. Uh, yeah, the second shot. Has everyone had their second shot? No, you, some young people. Tuesday, I get it. Tuesday, all right. People have reaction to the second shot? Yes, no, yes, no. First shot, people have reaction to the first shot? Yeah, I had reaction to the, shirt, the first one, but not to the second one. Anyway. Yeah. Alina, hope you feel better soon. Hopefully it's just like a overnight thing. Most people it is. Hey, so welcome everyone. Uh, <coughs> so tonight we start a course on uh, Mipom the Great. And great he was. <laughs> this is sort of like a, a phenomena from another planet, another universe. One of the... One of the... Uh, last of many generations of inconceivable human beings. So it's really cool to uh, finally have a course directly on uh, the life and teachings of Mipam. We've, we've studied a number of his commentaries throughout the course of the 16 years of the Rime Shedra, starting in 2004 with his commentary on Chandrakirti's introduction to the Middle Way followed by his uh, commentary on Vasubandhu's Abhidharma Kosha, Treasury of Abhidharma, in the form of a four-volume text called Gateway to Knowledge, and uh, followed by Mipam's commentary to Shantarakshita's uh, Ornament of, Mah of Madhyamaka, Madhyamaka Alamkara by Shantarakshita. And let's see, anything else by me, Palm? We've been, we've been uh, threatening to study his commentary on Shanti Deva's uh, Bodhicharavatara's uh, entering the middle way. Sorry, entering the uh, the way of a Bodhisattva, the ninth chapter on wisdom, for some time. Uh, but it's held to be one of the most difficult texts around, so it deserves some preparation. And Mipam himself said that in order to access that material, you need to, realistically, you need to study Abhidharma and you need to study uh, some some uh, valid cognition, have an understanding of that, and then the tenets of the different schools. And we also did a course on uh, Mipam's presentation of the different tenet systems of the of the major schools. Sautrantika, Vaibhashika, 
Yogachara, Swatantrika, Prasangika. And um, so when I saw this book come out, I was really, uh, uh, right away, I was excited by it. For one, because of a, uh, a biography that is uh, written by somebody um, you know, who was alive during our time, Dilgo Kensei Rinpoche, an amazing human being, like Mipom Rinpoche in a lot of ways, in terms of like unfathomable ability to recall texts that has been met, have been read, un, unfathomable ability to understand texts that are read only once. There's a, I, I don't know if it'll be in this book, but there's a quote by uh, Mipom that's always stayed with me, where he says uh, that when he was very young, <clears throat> it would take him a little while to understand advanced Dharma texts. Um, that he had to really focus on studying them when he went through them the first time. And uh, by and large, all of them he would understand by the end of the first time through one of these Dharma texts, he would understand completely, except for the text on valid cognition by uh, Dharma Kirti, the comment, a famous commentary on valid cognition, which is held to be probably the most difficult, complicated text in the Buddhist tradition, and which is why there's, as of today, still no uh, translation of that text in its entirety. And uh, Mipam said he had to read that twice. <laughs> On the second time, he got it completely. And, and then he said after that, everything else came instantly to him. He immediately understood everything he encountered and read and heard about. We also did a course on a, a book called Journey to Certainty, which was a commentary on a famous text by Mipam called Beacon of Certainty, which was his main statement of the uh, union of Madhyamaka and Dzogchen, interestingly. And much more interestingly, he's said to have authored the text when he was seven years old. <laughs> That's sort of like, oh, come on, you're, you're kidding me, right? you got to be kidding me. Remember that video of the dog teaser years ago? I'll have to circulate that. It's like that, that dog in that video going, yeah, yeah. You know, he, <laughs> and then he wrote it when he was seven. Oh, you're kidding me. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. And supposedly towards the end of his life, he came across it again and uh, he reread it and he said he wouldn't change a word. <laughs> but they all say that, right? That's just sort of like... Um, so, Kensi Rinpoche met Mipam when he was very young. And Mip uh, Kensi Rinpoche was born in 1910 uh, and so he was a baby. It's questionable how much he remembered about Mipom when he was one or two years old, but it's questionable whether we can apply normal <coughs> conventional conventionality 
to uh, beings like Kensei Rimshi. Um, but going back to this biography by Kensei Rimshi, I figured this, uh, there's many, uh, there's many, there's a number of other biographies of Mebom that are very like formulaic. And I thought maybe this one would be a little more uh, sort of lifelike, so to speak, because it was written by someone in our age, of our age, Dingo Kensei Rimshi, who died in 1991. Or uh, is it 19, yeah, 1991. And then secondly, it has a translation of a famous text by Mi The Lion's Roar of Buddha Nature. And Mipam wrote two lion roars, lion's roar texts, <clears throat> lion's roars, two lion, lion's roars, one on Buddha nature and one on uh, emptiness of other, Gentong, the famous system of, uh, of non, uh, well, non-emptiness of self also very controversial. Uh, and when I say also, I mean because his commentary on Shantarakshita's ninth chapter of the Bodhicharavatara was extremely controversial. We have uh, one of his responses to somebody who he corresponded with about that in this book. Towards the end, there's a number of texts. The main one is the reliance of Buddha nature. And... Uh, Padmakara Translation Committee is probably uh, is among the best of translators around these days. Carl Bernholtz, Elizabeth Callahan, Eric Pima Kunsong, and Padmakara, and then Dharma Chakra Translation Committee really are at the top. And so I figured this would be a, a really wonderful translation of that text. And then I figured we could read also... Uh, the lines were of uh, other emptiness of Gentil as well, which is not in this book, but I'll provide that from a, a different source when we get there. So anyway, um, when uh, I guess the my introduction to uh, this uh, we'll go around and introduce ourselves, but for my introduction, I want to say that um, in uh, in 2004, I, I went to California in the summer and studied uh, the introduction to the Middle Way with Songsar Kensei Rimshe. I was teaching it in uh, San Francisco area, the first of a four-year teaching every summer for uh, two weeks. And so I began reading Me Palms. He used... Uh, uh, he had his own commentary, but he recommended Mipom's commentary as well. And I read the introduction to that, where there's this famous story of of uh, Kensei Rimshe, the uh, not not Dilgo Kensei, but uh, Kensei Rimshe the Great, the first Kensei, who was the the main teacher of Mipom, one of the main teachers of Mipom, inviting Mipom over for lunch one day under the guise of lunch. And when he gets there, pulls a fast one on Mipom, and uh, he's sitting on a regular seat, and he has this throne prepared for Mipom, and a table next to it with like a huge stack of texts. And he, 
it forces Mipam up on the throne. And he, and, he, and he supplicates him. He does prostrations to him and makes this long, does this whole mandala offering. I don't know if you've ever seen Tibetans do a mandala, a formal mandala offering. They do this long thing and they offer all these symbolic things, uh, body, speech, and mind, representations of the Dharma, statue, text, uh, crystal for the mind. And then he says, please, the Nyingma tradition has no um, real exegetical tradition or writings, no clear explanation of the Nyingma point of view on the the whole um, range of Sutrayana philosophical um, theory or view. Uh, obviously, Longchenpa does a lot, and before him, Rongzong, who you'll see mentioned in this, does some. But um, what had become current and, and popular by the time of Kensei the Great and Mipam is that all the different schools had monastic colleges in Tibetan Shedra. And they focused on studying the, the five main texts of the Indian uh, commentarial tradition which is what uh, this Shedra is uh, oriented around, these five texts, which are the Treasury of Abhidharma by uh, Vasubandhu, the Commentary of Valid Cognition by Dharma Kirti, the Introduction to the Middle Way by Chandra Kirti, uh, the um, Ornament of Higher Realization by Maitreya, which goes through the paths and stages, and then a text on monasticism by uh, Gunaprabha. And uh, Kensi Rimshe the Great says, we have no commentaries on this. All the other schools have commentaries on this and study these in their Shedra, as well as the five, the remaining four of the five dharmas or texts of Maitreya. And he stacks them up all in front of Mipam, says, please, write commentaries on these from the Nyingma point of view and, and put us on the map, so to speak. And then Bipam does that. He basically spends the rest of his life, whenever he's not meditating, doing that, writing these commentaries. And you see these uh, um, the statement that in between sessions... And Mipam does this, Jongen Kongchul says this, other great teachers. Basically, they practice four sessions a day, which is the traditional way of practicing when one is in retreat. And these teachers were basically in retreat like all the time. So they would maintain four sessions a day, one before breakfast, one between breakfast and lunch, one between lunch and dinner, and one after dinner. And then between those, he would write, as did Jomgun Kongchul, and as did many of these great teachers, with prodigious output. And Mipam was among the, the most prodigious in his output. And uh, he wrote these commentaries on all of these different texts throughout his life, and uh, almost completed all of them. There was a f- like little pieces that he didn't complete, some completed by his students. And uh, I, I read that, and I was sort of blown away by that and the whole idea that 
the Tibetan monastic system had come up with a way of uh, condensing the presentation of Buddhism through the 1500 years from the life of the Buddha until Buddhism in Tibet and then five or so hundred years after that until the Shedra curriculum was developed where they focused it down on these five books. I was like, wow, that is amazing. And then Mipon, like, you know, has commentaries in all of them from our point of view, our tradition's point of view. And I said, that's what I got to do. I got to create, get other people to basically self-serving. Uh, create a program that would force me to read these texts by having classes on them, study groups on them. And so that's what we've been doing for 16 years. And so it's it's uh, wonderful now to be able to come back and sort of focus in on Mipom himself and read his life story and a selection of his works. So that's my introduction. Why don't we go around briefly and have people say hello maybe where they are, what they're, whatever you want about your background or your interest or whatever, I don't know. And uh, just so we say hello, there's a couple of new people here, people that are sort of new to us, and it'd be nice to create that sort of familiar added, uh, atmosphere where people feel comfortable chiming in and asking questions, making statements, um, and have that sense of collegiality. And particularly in this course, because with this biography for the first few classes, it's just very much a story. And uh, as I said in the email, I won't dominate the situation as much with my uh, hypnotically soporific voice. <laughs> so let's see. Um, how about we'll try uh, alphabetical? That would bring us to Barbara. Barbara Brooks, how about you? Do you want to start off? Did I get that right? Is there an AAs? No. Well, I'll start off. Um, cool. Thanks. Hi, I'm, I'm Barbara Brooks. Nice to see you all. And um, I've been studying, taking these classes with Derek for, i say, it must be around six or seven years by now. And... Um, and uh, anyway, um, good to see you. Thank you for joining us again. Uh, that brings us to, I think, uh, Brian. How do you say your last name? It's uh, Westenheiser. Westenheiser. Welcome. How are you, man? I'm doing well. It's nice to see everyone. This is my uh, second class with the... Rime Shedra. So it's nice to be with you again. I've been practicing pretty regularly since about 2015. I'm just kind of excited to kind of dig a little bit deeper. So looking forward to the class and thank you for having me here today. Cool. Thanks for joining us. We have a lot of bees tonight. Then we have uh, Brent. Oh, I was out of order so much from my alphabetizing. My name is Brent, and I live in Brooklyn, and I've been taking the Rima Shadra classes for four, four or five years now, I guess, and studying Buddhism for about 10 years. So, Thank you, Brent. Thanks for being here. Brock from, from Utah. 
Hi. Uh, yeah, I live uh, in a cave uh, in the West. And uh, I'm probably the baby of the bunch here. I just started this now at the beginning of this year, I guess. Or no, it's been about a year, I guess. I've joined uh, Remy Shedra, and uh, uh, it's been wonderful. And uh, you're going to see my face for a long time if I got any choice. Thank you. That's great. Our pleasure. Thank you for joining us. That brings us to Miss C. Hi, I'm Caitlin. It's my my account is my pre-K account when I when I have to zoom. So I like to. I mean, it's Miss Cole, but it, my name is Caitlin. Um, I've been studying with Derek since about 2012, and just to, I mean, talk about like unfathomable ability, Derek. You you remember things like a cuckoo person. So it's awesome to have you as a teacher and to study with you. So just a shout out to the, to the professor. Caitlin, so good to see you. Thank you so much for joining us. Did, did you join us a while ago? The Rime Shadra? Did you ever do a Rime Shadra course? I don't think I was ever that cool. I think that I no, I think I like Googled you guys and I saw some of the courses and I was like, no, nah, this isn't gonna work out, but <laughs> not part of the cool kids club. Now I am. So all right, all right. No holding you back now. Thank you for joining us, Caitlin. Christopher. Yeah, so back uh it was two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve. It was the third class we did. And that was Madhyamaka Lankara. And that's when I said, this is what it's about. And Buddhism made sense. And uh, yeah, that's when I was living in a cave under the BQA. And now I'm in upstate New York on the Mohawk in an Italian villa. <laughs> Which is a foreclosed property in one of those deindustrialized towns. <laughs> Neat, the Mohong Trail. That's neat. Near, yeah, yeah. Near the Shawangunk Mountains? No, no, no. Mohawk River. West uh, of Albany. Okay, I'm confusing it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm way, way. Neat, neat. And the American flag is required up there, right? Definitely. Yeah, I'm on, <laughs> one, of the, one of the benefits of uh, living in a small town like this is they invite you to be on the planning board, and we have to say the we have to say the pledge when we start the planning board meeting. That's great. And, yeah, and here, Maakala with the candle is for all of you. <laughs> That's great. Do you have the Mahakala there when you have the meetings, the planning board meetings too? I put them closer to the floor. I don't even think they realize that I'm sitting on the floor. I think I think they think I'm sitting in a chair. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, cool. Thank you for joining us. Great to see you again. Cynthia. Cynthia is a veteran. Rime Shadra veteran. Right, but I don't keep a flag behind me, even though I'm a veteran. So um, it's just kids. So, yeah, I've been here kind of from that prehistoric beginning um, <clears throat> when we were doing radical rejection of whatever we're rejecting. Um, and I've been here pretty much ever since. I don't know what else there is to say. I live in Brooklyn, um, and 
Um, this will be fun. I like doing this. This biographical uh, course should be a little bit different and fun. Yeah, cool. Thanks for joining us and uh, reminding reminding us of our roots and uh, radical rejection. That was the, na the the title of the first series of five classes took us to go through the introduction to the middle way by Chandra Kirti. And uh, the idea it was uh, there was a, a book that came out just before that that was very popular called Radical Acceptance. And so I figured we had to cover the other end of the spectrum. What to accept uh, and what to reject, right? That's right. That's right. And this, and in that, in our case, it was a radical rejection of primitive beliefs about reality, as uh, translated by Herbert V. Gunther. <laughs> uh, let's see. That brings us to E.I. Eileen, are you able? Oh, cool. Welcome. Sorry about that. Hi there. Um, I'm Eileen. I live in Massachusetts. And um, I guess I, I have found the Dharma um, through Pema Children. And I you know, have done a lot of probably about 10 years of self-study. And it's very exciting to be in a group of um, among other people that are, are studying. And, um, you know, I'm kind of all over the place. So this is very grounding and kind of makes me do things. Um, less eclectically but um i do like to puzzle it out and um i i really enjoy this group so thanks that's great thank you thank you so much for joining us again and let's see e-i-n-g-o b-i no it's b-i-n-g-o uh emily <laughs> hi i'm emily um i've been taking Rima Shadrick courses for about a year and a half-ish now, uh, and practicing for a little bit longer than that. And then I, I studied Buddhism in college as my major, so have kind of a grounding of general philosophical knowledge and understanding, but it's very cool to be filling that in with practice and this very deep practice-related study. Um, just love it and going to keep rolling with it like everybody else, so... Yeah, and I'm in Massachusetts too. Cool. Near an airport. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very loud out here. That's great. Thank you for joining us and for, thank you for providing the uh, the Zoom link. All right. Uh, Eric Strom. Hi, this is Eric from Queens. Uh, <laughs> I guess I first started in uh, 2007, right after after radical radical rejection finished up, and I've been here on and off since. And uh, good to be here. Hello, cool. Thank you for joining us again, Eric. Um, let's see. That brings us to Lori Engo. Interesting how some letters, there's no names for some letters. Yeah, and then there's huge clumps of L's. We have and like five L's. Yeah, so cool. I'm Lori, and I live in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And um, I grabbed the opportunity to start joining these classes when they came on Zoom about a year, a year and a half ago. I had to stop 
the last one midway, I was kind of overwhelmed, but I'm happy to be back. Been practicing and studying for about 10 years now. All right, 10 years later, 10 years after. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Uh, let's see. Lee. Hi. Uh, I hail from Katona, New York. I joined uh, Westchester Buddhist Center in 2015 and been with Derek and other teachers for about a, uh, that amount of time. And this is my first year with Ramachandra. Hopefully I said that right. And hopefully I will keep up and not fall asleep. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for, for joining us again, Lee. S some people here have like very demanding lives, full-time, very, very full-time jobs and families and and practicing and getting up early. And uh, so thank you very much for including us in your day. And no problem if you doze off. <laughs> It'll still seep in there, right? <laughs> and let's see. Uh, Lynn, Liz or Lindsay? Lindsay. Hi, I'm Lindsay. I'm usually living in New York, but uh, right now I'm in Florida with my father. Um, nice. Yes, it has been very nice. I don't even know how many years I've been um, participating um, in the Lima Shedra, a certain number of years, but I'm delighted uh, to be back. I'm kind of rooted in the Zen tradition, and so um, it's quite eye-opening to see the larger world of Tibetan Buddhism, but I'm really enjoying it. So thank you. Neat, neat background in Zen. That's cool. Thank you again for joining us again, Lindsay and Liz Green. Hi, um, I'm Liz. I live in Katona. Um, I've been um, coming to these classes for, I don't know, two years or so, about. I'm looking forward to this biography. First time we've done a biography. Yeah, yeah. Great. Thank you for joining us again, Liz, and good to see you. Eric, did you miss K? I just realized the same thing that I lost over the K and my inability to alphabetize. You know, my first job in, in college, I worked as a file clerk alphabetizing file cards. You would think I would have got it down. It's hard with Zoom. It's hard. <laughs> So yeah, let's backtrack. Let's go to Kevin, and then we'll come back to Lori. Hi, um, I'm Kevin, and uh, Kevin Gerard, and I'm in Brooklyn. And I guess I've been studying with Derek for a little less than two years. I think it was right about the time you had your first classes in Chelsea, right when the Shambhala New York Meditation Center dissolved. Um, so anyhow, uh, enjoying it, just trying to understand how, you know, things open up like the rest of us. It's, it's almost a strange time. But um, looking forward to this biography as well. Cool. 
Welcome back. Thank you. And yeah, so I think you joined in uh, progressive stages of meditation on emptiness, which I think was like the spring of 2019. So two years ago, seems like ages ago before the pandemic gap. Lori, Lori Abbott, the Abbott. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm Lori. And, uh, I guess that's when I came too, two two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And I also had a similar path from Eileen, where I was self-studying because of Pema Chodron for like five years. Then I went to Shambhala and I was guided to Derek from uh, Dan Schreibman. He said, oh, there's this really advanced student, you know, Chogyam Trungpa and, you know, you should take these classes. And we were both kind of searching because of the dissolution of, of the New York center and everything. So it's, you know, thank goodness. I felt like I was, I was caught (laughs) in free fall. So it's been, it's been fantastic. I feel like all the gaps are being filled in and, and uh, I have an extra copy of the book because Amazon or FedEx or something delivered it to the first copy to the back door that we never go to, you know, all of a sudden I found this box and I'd already said it was misdelivered. So now I have two. So if anybody, (laughs) If anybody needs a copy, I will send it to you. That's great. Thank you so much. That's better, right? The sound. And that brings us to... Did you get Lindsay? Did Lindsay go? Yep. Okay. That brings us to Morgan. Webmaster, remade Shadra webmaster. You skipped Mary Beth, but I'll go first. Ah, that's true. <laughs> um, I I missed the original uh, radical rejection courses, but have been here since that, like Eric, um, and have have done most of these classes, uh, and am looking forward to this one, doing one more. Uh, so thank you. Thank you, Morgan. Thank you so much for creating and maintaining the, the awesome website. I, okay. I, take, I take it that people have seen the website. Um, so the recordings are posted there if you miss a class or want to hear it again. They're, they're there and the materials are there. And if you are not aware of that website, check it out. Remeshedra.nyc We were one of the first dot nyc urls yes that's true that is true and so you and eric joined i think it was uh gateway to knowledge me palms uh abhidharma commentaries when that sounds right yeah that was neat mary beth keen (laughs) well I I started coming to the Rime Shadra classes when we met in this tiny little room at Shambhala and we sat on cushions that touched. Yeah, no social distancing whatsoever. And lots of people outside the door, we could always hear talking when they were having breaks from the community meetings of Tuesday night or something? The weekly Dharma gathering, which had a hundred people in the same room in cushions that touched each other. That that was normal. 
Yeah. And so that, that was me and Cholo. Yeah. Right? And then one time Derek had to come out and tell us to be quiet. <laughs> and and when we finished, we would like we would eat like their snacks that they didn't finish. <laughs> uh, anyway, so days. I don't know how many years ago that was, but I miss it. So I had the good fortune of riding into those classes with Derek. And sometimes he would like have me read out loud what we were going to cover. Those were fun. Yeah. Like I'd need to like brush up and I'd ask you to read a certain part of it and, and explain it. <laughs> and I could ask him questions on the way home. Now, what is this? What, what was that all this? about? Was that, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Anyway. I live and in Golden's Bridge, New York, about the farthest north in Westchester County, I guess, that you could go. And uh, I'm glad to be here. And I remember those Dharma talks, and I always wondered, who are these people all squirreled away in this little room? And I never could get a straight answer. <laughs> <laughs> There's a big secret I was hiding in the back room there at the Aston Kitchen. <laughs> that's great and I think that brings us to last but not least our venerable attorney Esquire Neil hello hello thank you very much again as always this is my you know connection to the Dharma this is like as much as I managed to do that I'm so grateful that we you know, keep doing it so um, I've been um, studying with Derek for a long time at this point more years than I care to remember. And it's only because of me that I haven't learned anything. So <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you so much, Eric, for being here, for continuing to join in and uh, for your sense of humor and that expression of humbleness, which I think is one of the, the true marks of like uh, a long time student of the Dharma is just, the, the vastness and the profundity of the Dharma just increases. You know, the more that you think you understand, it's just like gets larger, bigger and bigger. And Neil asks good questions. Neil always asks very good questions. <laughs> yeah, so help me out. Did I miss anyone? Okay, so let's start with uh, some sitting. We're already running late, but let's, uh, there's not a whole lot for tonight. Tonight's uh, agenda was pretty much to connect. And uh, so we did that. So let's sit for a little while.
Hey, welcome back from Samadhi. Good evening. And welcome to uh, the, someone else that has joined us this evening, Iswar Majison. Greetings, sir. How are Hi. you? Good, thanks. How, how are you guys? Good. Thanks for joining us. And uh, let's see, Iswar, you're in uh, Mount Kisco, is that right? Uh, New York? Yeah. yeah. And so we all went around, said hello, introduced ourselves. Do you want to say anything about yourself and uh, the weather, whatever you want, your background in Dharma, whatever? Uh, yeah, I've uh, been practicing for about five or six years, and uh, I've been coming to the uh, uh, Westchester Meditation Center for about three years. Um, yeah, that's about it. Cool, cool. And then you've done a few of these courses, right? Yeah. Rimei Shedra. Cool. And uh, I hope you don't mind if I say you, uh, Iswar has done one or more uh, Goenka 10-day retreats, style retreats. Very neat. So welcome again, Iswar. Thanks for joining us. And uh, so we're talking about uh, Mipom. And I had a few points that I thought worth talking about from the from tonight we just had the uh, forward and then the introduction forward is by a gentleman named Alexander Rimshe who is considered to be in the uh, the uh, leading Nyingma scholar in the world today and is an incredibly humble and also petite individual he's like four foot eight or something <laughs> and he's just a remarkable guy he's like He's done so much for the Dharma. It's uh, unfathomable and uh, lives all around the world, just travels around, at least before the pandemic, and uh, had this amazing position in China where he like was uh, had some political posts. He was like uh, within the, the uh, political structure of Eastern Tibet, which is very rare, and uh, through that he managed to provide a lot of help to uh, Tibetans individually as well as Tibetan publications and, and uh, uh, discovery and publishing of a lot of Tibetan manuscripts. Um, you know, we all know how devastating the invasion of Tibet was by the Chinese army in 1959 and then the, the havoc and destruction that was wrought in the, the cultural revolution in the in the 60s upon Tibet and uh, how many people were mercilessly slaughtered and monasteries ransacked um, and you can easily imagine the destruction of texts along with that um, and uh, many, many texts thought to have been lost forever, have been slowly uh, uh, reappearing in this really miraculous way. That's uh, very cool. People have been keeping texts and hiding in all sorts of ways, you know, like literally like burying them under the floor sort of thing. And for fear of, you know, if you, if you had a picture of the Dalai Lama, you would be arrested, you know, that sort of thing. So it was like... They literally hid these these Buddhist texts, and they've come out in 
huge number of texts that we thought were lost forever have been reappearing. And Alexander Karimsha has been crucial in that process of uh, networking and uh, providing sort of safety for that process politically and and uh, networking to the projects from Westerners to uh, retrieve those, to receive those texts and scan them and uh, preserve them. And uh, through basically this project called the Buddhist Digital Resource uh, Center has done an enormous project to preserve Tibetan Buddhist texts digitally. And uh, the, the author of the introduction quotes Gene Smith, who was the head of that project. And uh, Alexander Kervimshe was on the board, as was I, of that project. So I got to meet him and hang out with him, which was a great delight, along with Tulkutundra Rimshe, which was amazing. Anyway, um, so we have this biography of Kensei Rimshe composed many, many years ago and then lost, you know, and you're like, oh my God, how could you have lost that? <laughs> but, you know, then on the other hand, it's like, how, how could you have escaped with your life, you know, out of Tibet? Um, you know, and so with one, this one text out of Zillion's that were lost, and it uh, reminds me of the, the text by Trungpa Rinpoche that were lost on his departure from, or escape departure, his escape from Tibet, his harrowing escape where he barely, narrowly survived his life from Tibet, where he lost two amazingly precious books. He apparently wrote a thousand page history of, the, of Shambhala, the kingdom of Shambhala, that was lost. And then a 600-page manual on Mahamudra meditation. <laughs> Unbelievable. Lost forever. Anyway, um, Kensei Rinpoche writes this text and it sort of wanders around and then finally comes back, as you read in the, in the introduction, in this miraculous way. And... Uh, on the other hand, Kensi Rimshe had an amazing memory. I was sort of, I was reading, and I was like expecting it to say that he like recited it from memory because he, he uh, Matthew Ricard told us the story of how he was attending some uh, this uh, long series of empowerments by another teacher at one point um, a number of years ago, and they uh, discovered that they didn't have a text, and they were searching, asking everybody who was attending if they had a, a copy of this one text that was needed to give this series of empowerments. Nobody had the text, and they asked Kensi Rinpoche. He said, no, I don't have it, but I did hear it once, and I could recite it for you. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> so... Um, the uh, the interplay between normal human life, uh, the the in, the translators touch upon in the introduction, and we'll see that uh, you know these these biographies are by by and large sort of fantastical, and hard to believe, uh, but there is a, a qual some quality of down to earth like uh, ordinary humanity, humanness presented. Um, on the other hand, there was this mention of uh, 
uh, never like talking about his miraculous feats and his yogic achievements, by which I think they mean things like um, he would travel and interact with beings of other realms, I think is what that refers to, which is apparently something that teachers like him or beings like him are wont to do. They're sort of existing simultaneously on different realms, different universes. And this is just the one where they happen to uh, pretend to be living day to day, so to speak. Uh, and and then this statement that he does this, he, he writes up a whole f full volume of these exploits, which is sort of an odd thing to do. And then he throws it in the fire. <laughs> That's doubly odd. Like, how could he, like, decide to write them and then change his mind and burn it? Anyway, who knows if, like, a story of that, like that, had any truth to it. But... Um, he, he's like uh, one of the uh, greatest of all Tibetan beings from a Buddhist point of view, and also the sort of the latest or most recent, most close to uh, recent times of that short list of great human beings. And you see at one point in the, in the, bio, in the introduction where he's said to be an emanation of Manjushri, the Bodhisattva of wisdom. And there's a very short list of other people mentioned who are famous throughout the Tibetan tradition for having been recognized as uh, manifestations of the Bodhisattva of wisdom, Manjushri. And the translators list Longchenpa, the uh, amazing mystic and philosopher of the 13th century, and uh, Sakya Pandita, amazing logician of the Sakya school from also from the 13th century. 13th century was like unbelievable in Tibet, a number of huge huge figures, including also uh, at the tail end of the 13th century, more into the 14th was Tsongkhapa, the uh, progenitor of the Geluk school of Buddhism all said to be omniscient. They, they, Very few beings are given that title, the omniscient. There's a lot of beings that are given very lofty titles, but the omniscient is uh, restricted to only a few. Those listed here as emanations of Manjushri. And including, included among those is Mipong. And uh, only like a hundred years ago. From, from our lifetime, so it's pretty neat to have somebody of that caliber who lived that recently and was able to accomplish what he did, you know, just in the amount of the volume of literature that he uh, produced is, is a superhuman feat in itself. Not to mention that he, uh, you know, spent so many, so many years, so much of his time in retreat and accomplished all sorts of different practices traveled and so on and so forth but so we'll, we'll I'm sure we'll see a lot of that in the biography a lot of uh, interesting miraculous displays and um, the other thing I found interesting was the comment about the the uh, uh, political social um, events of the time period that he lived in and all this momentous stuff going on with like zero mention of it in the biography. 
You know, it's like they're in a very different world there in Tibet. And uh, unfortunately, that, that contributed to uh, what happened, unfortunately. But um, but it, it, must, it must have been amazing to uh, have been in that world, um, secluded from the rest of the world for so many centuries in that way and uh, just sort of phenomenal for for them to to have a biography like this during that time period and not to mention uh, uh, make more you know nothing more than sort of a passing indication of all this tumultuous stuff going on um, then the other thing is uh, that Mipon joins forces with uh, a group of four other amazing uh, teachers, well, really three, and then a fourth who uh, I'll mention afterwards, but three amazing individuals who who come together and, and uh, congeal or codify or uh, like uh, really uh, give the impetus to the unbiased or non-sectarian tradition of Tibetan Buddhism called the Rime tradition. Rime means beyond mountains or without mountains. And the idea is that uh, mountains are the different views of the different schools. And they, uh, by uh, fixating on the mountains, they produce... A uh, huge amount of discord that often erupted in in death, violent, violent uh, in, encounters between different schools. Uh, clearly, uh, local or uh, not even local, but sometimes central governments utilizing philosophical differences as the reason for for uh, to cover up the real reason for. Uh, um, violence, which is always in the name of greed and uh, power, um, and so in, in in their case, they, they use the difference in views between literally between the Rongtong and the Zhentong schools, and and those views. And we'll get into what those views are, <clears throat> but to think that those views themselves were the cause of uh, all the violence is not really a correct way of understanding things. But anyway, so there was this uh, movement in eastern Tibet, which is the place in Tibet that uh, received the brunt of the sectarian violence due to political situations where there were uh, kingdoms and kings or, uh, or rulers, local rulers in eastern Tibet that tried to break away from the central government and challenge its authority. And the central government used the philosophical uh, difference in philosophical views of the traditions in eastern Tibet as the reason for the excuse for giving them the right to come in and suppress violently these uh, various movements and and uh, also destroy monasteries and kill a lot of people but uh, so there's this a a after that happened quite uh, um, sadly in a, a very extreme way a uh, number of individuals said this is ridiculous we have to somehow create a, a way to uh, 
get beyond this sectarianism. And so Jom Gunkongchul, the Great, uh, Jom, I can't say Wangpo, the Great, and then a, a, a gentleman not mentioned here, but very much one of the greats as well, and one of the three leaders of this movement, Chokjur Lingpa Rinpoche, uh, come together and uh, begin a massive project of trying to uh, collect all, all the main texts and teachings of all the different traditions of Buddhism in Tibet without uh, disparaging any. Uh, but creating a way of uh, understanding and valuing each one of them as a unique, skillful means presenting the genuine teachings of the Buddha. And they, they uh, resurrect a, a very old motif that had uh, been developed earlier in Tibetan history of there being eight different Dharma transmissions into Tibet, genuine, uh, authentic, individual transmissions. And... So they call these the eight chariots, and they collect the, the main texts from these eight different traditions and go about receiving transmissions on um, all of these texts so that they come alive. And Kensei uh, Rinpoche the Great in particular does this miraculous thing. Um, and and also Chokchur Lingpa, where what would happen is, what, what happens is in... Uh, in all these different traditions, they have numerous different texts and different lineages of practices. And uh, naturally, many of them had died out. They were just were not people who were still practicing, or had received the lung, the reading transmission, and the abhisheka for, for practices, and the reading transmission for philosophical texts, on uh, many texts. And so... Um, there was no living representatives for those. And Kenzi Rimshe and Chokchur Lingpa would go into trances and have visionary encounters with the authors or major holders of these texts and, and practices and receive empowerment or tra transmission and then bring these uh, lineages back to life again. And then they collected into a massive uh, uh control collects them into massive collections of uh, texts and, and uh, abhishekas or empowerments, sadhana practices. The most famous of which is the uh, treasury of precious uh, treasures, the Rinchen Terza, which uh, consists of 63 volumes and 3,500 different texts in those 63 volumes. And uh, they have a the the uh, transmission of that body of literature, which spans all the eight trans traditions, takes six months to do. And uh, Trungpa Rinpoche received this when he was very young from, um, I believe, his teacher Sheshen Kongshul, and then gave this transmission. After that, when he was like 14 years old for six months, and then again when he was like 18 or 19 before leaving Tibet. Anyway, so um, Mipong is uh, uh, part of this effort to create the non-sectarian tradition. But really, his main purpose was, as I said before, Hey, Al, how are you? <laughs> 
Good to see you. Thanks for joining us. His uh, Meepum's main uh, main focus and purpose in in this world was to uh, to resurrect sort of the philosophical tradition of the Nyingma, which had languished and was uh, very much outshone by the the three other schools of Tibetan Buddhism. And he does this by writing all these commentaries that I mentioned earlier. And um, and then he does this very interesting uh, move philosophically, um, or uh, I guess you could say in terms of, uh, I hate the word doctrine, but in, in terms of understanding of the, the view and the intention of the Buddha, is uh, that basically throughout the history of Buddhism, there's been a, 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 a progression of different teachers explaining different aspects of the view and the practice of Buddhism. And in doing that, there have a, uh, there has been the appearance that they've been um, showing the faults and the inferiority of other viewpoints. And this has resulted in the sectarianism that then creates such terrible uh, discord. And um, on the other hand, there have been a, f a number of individuals along the way who have uh, done a, a, an amazing job of showing the continuity of the view and the practice of, the, of those various presentations and showing how they're actually in harmony by being complementary instead of contradictory. And... Uh, the main uh, progenitors of the of these difference in views in the earliest period of Buddhism in India are Nagarjuna and Asanga. And Nagarjuna, as I'm sure you know, presents this very absolutist point of view about the nature of reality as being basically beyond conceptual understanding completely and, and uh, be, beyond uh, verbal elaboration and uh, beyond all limitations of uh, conventional frameworks. And so he, he, uh, he dismantles all sorts of systems that preceded him, which basically at that time was the Abhidharma system of, of uh, studying the, the nature of reality um, in a sort of uh, real, uh, in a sort of reifying way saying that uh, basically things are real, that enlightenment is real, but uh, defilement is real, and all the different aspects of our existence are real. The, uh, the kleshas, the wisdoms, the, um, the skandhas, the ayatanas, matter, everything is real. Um, and uh, Nagarjuna goes about undermining that point of view and saying, uh, explaining that basically, basically the Buddha presented all these different categories as a way of helping us dismantle the belief in the self. He didn't say that they're actually absolutely real. He never said that. And in fact, there's this you know huge body of teachings, the Prajnaparamita Sutras, where the Buddha undoes all of that. 
and says, I, I, I was just helping you uh, understand the falsehood of, of uh, self, of the self. And then a Sangha uh, receives teachings from Maitreya, the Bodhisattva Maitreya, and uh, presents the sort of positive side of liberation, the positive aspect of the of the Buddha's the wisdom of Buddhahood and the qualities of Buddhahood of liberation, which Nagarjuna didn't really go near, because his jaw was basically to undo everything, and and you know so there's this back and forth quality that they are the main ones that started, but then there's a number of players who do the same sort of back and forth thing right after them of, of uh, undermining and then valuing. And then uh, towards the end of the development of Buddhism in India, in the 8th century, there's a gentleman named Shantarakshita. And he pulls together the different traditions of Nagarjuna and Asanga and their main proponents. Chandra Kirti, Shanti Deva, Vasubandhu, and uh, uh, produces a synthesis of those different traditions and shows how they're complementary, shows how the different views of the middle way are complementary, shows how the, the views of the mind-only school and the Madhyamaka school are complementary and not contradictory. And shows how they they were presented as skillful means, each one of them to up, uproot or undo uh, um, a, a leaning towards an extreme, one way or another. And so that's the that's the mainstream that of uh, the view of of the Dharma that comes into Buddhism when Buddhism comes into Tibet in the eighth century by Shantarakshita uh, on, the, on the level of Sutra. Hinayana, Mahayana teachings, as we would call it, and then Padmasambhava, in terms of Vajrayana, brings in the Dzogchen teachings along with his cohorts Vimalamitra and Vairochana. But um, Shantarakshita's presentation gets foreshadowed a few centuries later by a fixation on Chandrakirti's introduction to the Middle Way, which was really. Uh, like Nagarjuna was was sort of uh, uh, emphasizing one aspect, the uh, necessity of having an unfabricated view of reality, a mind beyond mental fabrication. And so the the synthesis of uh, Shantarakshita gets a little bit lost. Longchenpa brings it back in the 13th century and uh, produces his treasury of philosophical systems, which we went through in, a, in a, the last a couple of courses ago, where he presents Madhyamaka in a way that synthesizes all the different schools. And in the meantime, there's this, uh, at that same time as Longchenpa, there's this, uh, these sort of extremes on either side that are developing. One is, the extreme of uh, understanding reality in the, in, uh, uh, through the mechanism of a, what's called a non-implicative negation. 
the negation of mental fabrication without implying there's that there's something else beyond the absence of uh, labeling. And that is uh, the tradition that uh, Tsongkhapa and the Galupa school focus on exclusively. And that's now called the wrong tone, emptiness of self tradition, R-A-N-G, T-O-N-G. T-O-N-G is emptiness in, in Tibetan and wrong is self emptiness. Phenomena are empty of themselves. And at the same time, there's a gentleman named Dolpopa, who's this great mystic. And interestingly, uh, he focuses intensely on the Kala Chakra, practice of the Kala Chakra tradition, and through that, gains realization. And through that, travels to Shambhala and meets the king of Shambhala. And he receives teachings on... Uh, uh, a different way of viewing the nature of reality as being the indivisibility of um, or, or the undeniability of Buddha nature, of Buddha, the uh, qualities of Buddhahood, wisdoms and powers, compassion and so forth of Buddha nature as being um, spontaneously present in all times and in all ways. And so that is sort of the the other extreme compared to the extreme of non-applicative negation. And Longchenpa forges a sort of path, a middle way between the two of them. And it's not that explicit, however, in Longchenpa's writings because he doesn't actually address those different schools because they weren't really developed in the time of Longchenpa. They actually developed after him. And so what Mipam does is he resurrects, he, he, he resurrects this idea of there being the synthesis between these different traditions by viewing them as all as skillful means and not as absolutely uh, valid on their own but as valid as methodologies for producing liberation in sentient beings. And he identifies the, the different uh, individuals that I just listed, Chantarakshita, Longchenpa, and uh, there's one other that I glossed over named Rongzom, R-O-N-G-Z-O-M, who was like the 11th century Nyingma uh, master who presented the same sort of um, synthesis, synthesis type of view. And so Mipam does this very interesting thing where he's, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't go along with uh, the Tsongkhapa's view of the nature of reality and his interpretation of Chandrakirti and the Garjana, nor does he go along with uh, the Shantongpa's Dolpopa's presentation of uh, Maitreya's texts, the changeless nature of the Uttara Tantra, the famous, famous root text for the Zhentong tradition. But in his Two Lions Roars of Buddha Nature and of Other Emptiness, he presents very much a, a middle version. 
So he's sort of like, uh, it's sort of like there's uh, the ultra left and right between like Tsongkhapa's like on the ultra right, you might say, and Dolpopa and the Zhentongpas are on the ultra left and Mipom's like more of a, more of a, a liberal conservative in the middle. <laughs> but in that way, you know, sort of uh, uh, cleaving to the original intent of the Buddha's message of the middle way. And so we'll see that, I think, in, come through in the life to some extent, and then more so in the selections of writings towards the end. So, uh, and, and he also, he also writes on and uh, practices and teaches on a number of other interesting traditions that we see mentioned in the in the introduction um, he, he uh, writes on the, the root tantra of the nigma tradition the guya garba tantra and long Chenpa's commentary on that he writes big commentary on long Chenpa's texts And uh, he writes commentaries on the main uh, creation stage practices in the Nyingma tradition. I'm on page, uh, what is it, XIX19, Roman numeral 19, where there's uh, in the second paragraph. It says, these endeavors by no means exhausted Mipom's energies. He composed numerous important works on tantric topics. His famous overview of the, this, this text by Longchenpa called Dispelling the Darkness in the Ten Directions. Longchenpa's great commentary on the Guya Garba Tantra, the Ru Tantra, the Nyingma. And then he, uh, he gives a discourse on the eight great mandalas. The, uh, the what Trump Rinpoche translated as logos in the profound treasury, the eight logos or the eight uh, uh, mandalas, the eight uh, sadhana practices, among which we find Vajrakilya. And of course, he has, uh, you know, so that's the, the Nyingma Vajrayana system, the essence of it there between the Guya Garba Tantra and those eight deity practices and then he focuses also on the the highest tantric system in the in the other schools which is the Kala Chakra which is considered to be the culmination of the Tantra system in the Kagyu, Sakya and Galupa school. So it covers all the bases. Um, then he writes some works on the on the Great Perfection, the Dzogchen and uh, then he also does a phenomenal compilation of the Epic of Gesar. And the Epic of Gesar is uh, the longest, in terms of volume, epic in the world. It, it's like uh, the, the longest version of it is like 200 volumes or something insane. And there's like a zillion different versions of it. And so he goes about and does this monumental task of synthesizing the different versions and condensing them into merely eight volumes. <laughs> Thank God. Down from like 
200 or something, I don't know. Um, and in doing that, he like incorporates in this amazing way. And uh, I've just participated in a course that uh, went through this a little bit. So I just read this stuff of how in his presentation of the Epic of Gesar of Ling, he incorporates all these different strands of uh, Tibetan Buddhism that we get through Trungpa Rinpoche, all this Bun stuff, all this, uh, you know, what we call Shambhala, what Trungpa Rinpoche calls Shambhala teachings, wind horse, Drala, tiger, lion, Garuda, dragon, all this stuff that's like, if you've ever read the book, Shambhala, Sacred Path of the Warrior, all of that comes from the Epic of Gesar of Ling. As well as all this stuff, uh, he, he brings in the essence of the Dogchen tradition and the Kalachakra tradition into the Epic of Gesar, as well as the shamanic traditions of Bun, the indigenous religion in Tibet, and then the sort of everyday life traditions of Tibetans that's uh, been developed for centuries, if not millennia, in Tibet. And at the same time, he makes it into like a really good novel, you know, like a really good story. So just like this amazing, you know, and his compilation of that epic is like hailed as one of the most uh, major achievements, literary achievements of the Tibetan tradition. Separate from the whole Buddhist you know, philosophical thing. And that's now being, it's uh, in the process of being translated. And one of Trump Rimshade's students named Robin Kornman began that translation. And there's a couple of chapters out in one big volume. And there's, he trained some students uh, in Tibetan to continue it after he died un, untimely by uh, melanoma cancer. And let's see. He, he also wrote like on uh, unusual things. Uh, I think it's mentioned briefly here, but um, he wrote a lot, on a lot of worldly sort of things. Divination. He wrote a manual on sex, <laughs> which, you know, he's a monastic, <laughs> but it wasn't uncommon. It was like the idea of a Buddhist in Tibet was like this Renaissance person who, you know, like knew everything. And so there were a number of other teachers that wrote manuals on sex. <laughs> and he was, he was among them. And, um, so, you know, you wonder, was he actually a fully celibate monk or not? But whatever. <laughs> hopefully not. I mean, if he's going to write a book on it, hopefully. He's... Um, Are they illustrated? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if his is, but there are other ones that are illustrated. And, and they're basically commentaries on the Kama Sutra. I don't know, you know, I think people, everybody's like heard of vaguely the Kama Sutras, this Indian texts from from way back that is like the first sex manual uh, before what it was it Rogers and Johnson or something I don't know who were the Western guys um, and uh, he also writes a, a book on uh, like how to be a just ruler, 
king. That'd be a you know a, 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 a veter, a compassionate and wise and skillful political leader. Um, you know the range of the and, and breadth of his writings is just phenomenal. So, what uh, what else do people what are, what uh, thoughts and reactions so far do people have? towards this material and towards it, that's presented in the introduction and anything that I presented this evening. Like what, when you think of Mipom, what do you, you know? I love that story about the, the blue flower from Symbiotic. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I'm wondering, is Sakyong Mipam, is he supposed to be the reincarnation? He is supposed to be... Is there an echo? I don't hear it. It's yeah, only when you and Lori are both unmuted. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm muting. Um, he is he is supposed to be an uh, uh, emanation or manifest. Uh, what do you call it? A uh, tulku of uh, Mipam Rimshe, and uh, recognized by Penor Rimshe, who was the head of the Nyingma school at the time. And was it in here? Was there something in here about whether Mipom was going to incarnate or not? No, I don't think so. Okay, so I read it. I read it somewhere else. But uh, he's famous for having said that he was not going to incarnate. And uh, that's what I was hoping I was going to find the answer to, because there's two <laughs> versions of what he said, and I'm like. Yeah, the one where he said he's not coming back is the real version. And I was wondering if we're going to come across that in here. <laughs> yeah, and so there is this other version where he gives this this uh, sort of vague statement about, uh, I can't remember exactly how it's worded, but sort of like emanating in all directions sort of thing. And then they were like... Uh, People who were recognized shortly after he died as being his uh, rebirth, and uh, so Sakyong, Sil Rongdrol Mipom is is not the first one to have been recognized as an incarnation of Mipom. So it's this controversial thing where, on the one hand, he says he's not going to be, and then on the other hand, he gives this statement, sort of leading statement, indicating that. Maybe there'll be lots of him, but who knows? That is a big question, particularly these days, given what's happened in Shambhala and with Sakyong Mipam Ramshe. Sad, sadly. Well, I always thought that was political because the Chinese car is he a Karmapa? He has the name Mipam. And so then the, what do you call the Western Tibetan, had to create a Mipam. And my guess was, hey, 
Habakkum Pesan, let's call him Mipam. But I could be making that up, I don't know. But that's, yeah. yeah, who knows? Who knows? Well, I had a couple of um, things that, I love the blue flower story. Um, uh, I thought it was interesting that they said that Mipam gave Kensei Rinpoche his personal name. So that, that's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very cool. They met when uh, Kensei Rinpoche was a baby. He, They brought the baby to Mipam and Mipam yeah. gave named him. That's really cool. And the, the flower, I think the significance of the blue flower, in addition to him saying that he was in Shambhala and the king of Shambhala gave right. it to him. <laughs> and uh, the, the sweetness of, you know, guys exchanging flowers <laughs> separate from that is that blue flowers are, are generally an indication of this special type of flower in the Indian tradition in Sanskrit called the Udumbra flower, which is said to only bloom once in like a thousand years. So... It's a, a blue flower is generally a special, very special thing in, the, in that tradition. I'm sorry, Lori, what else? Um, just on the same page of the story about the blue flower, kind of middle, that's a big, long paragraph. I just thought it was so beautiful the way the translator talked about how the worldly things going on were kind of ignored. And he, he said... He described it as the world that seems to us so clear and solid is for such great yogis no more than a cinematic projection on a screen that, however opaque, is as thin as paper. I just thought that was really nice, the way he captured that. That was very cool, that whole image of like it, it being a projection on a flimsy piece of paper. Yeah. That was yeah. What, what page is that? Um. Let's see. XXII, I think. <laughs> 20, what is that, 22? Yeah, 22, Roman numeral 22. Yeah, right in the middle. I just thought it was, I mean, he's the translator, but he's also a beautiful writer. Oh, he is, yeah. Wollstone Fletcher is amazing. The screen itself may become at times rather diaphanous. Cool words. <laughs> he uses a lot of cool words in this introduction. He's yes. quite yeah. a good uh, uh, vocabulary. He doesn't. He doesn't like sign the introduction, but uh, you know, the last paragraph of the introduction says this book was translated by Wilson Fletcher. And Wilson Fletcher is an amazing guy. He's like one of the sweetest guys you can ever imagine for starters. And uh, he has this background in like some Christian contemplative tradition. And uh, he's written the, this series of amazing introductions to translations that are equally wonderful of Meepom's writings where he go, he gives these wonderful overviews of the, the development of uh, Buddhism through the, uh, with a focus on the, the different Madhyamaka traditions. And so he, he has this wonderful introduction to the Chandrakirti's 
Mipalm's commentary on Chandra Kirti's text, Introduction to the to the Middle Way, and then uh, Shantarakshita's Ornament to the Middle Way. Or, uh, ornament to the Middle Way, yeah. And then the uh, third one mentioned is his introduction to Mipalm's commentary on uh, Shantideva's ninth chapter. And we've read them, his introductions in, in a number of courses, like uh, uh, we had a course recently on uh, emptiness, empty, empty when full, I think it was called. And uh, we read, read through the first two of those introductions, really good. What else, any other things jump out for people? He was also tall, <laughs> for, for what that matters. And there's there's actually a, a photographs of him. He like lived into this period where where they began to have photographs. And so there's a there's. I wonder if the photographs are in here. There's this famous photograph of him. He has this funny grin. I've seen that photo uh, somewhere. I can't remember where. Yeah. Probably online. Yeah, it's quite quite famous. What else? Anyone else? A question, Derek. Mm. Um, yeah. To the extent that it sounds as though he was so intellectually oriented and yet spent such a huge amount of his time in practice, he didn't, did he teach a lot directly or was it all just through his writing? Yeah, that, that is a good question. Um, that is a good question. It, it, the impression I get is that his main impact was through his writings. I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to uh, wait and see okay. and uh, see that in the biography because the biographies that I've read, all I remember are uh, primarily descriptions of him being on retreat and writing this and, and that. And uh, as opposed to often, we have like list of students. Uh, I circulated a couple of links to Mipom. Uh, one of them was Mipom Treasury of Lives. And that's very good, helpful, because it shows the students. So there had an enormous number of uh, main students. I don't know, maybe I can uh, screen share this. It's sort of cool. Can you guys see this uh, Treasury of Lies? Yep. 
by this uh, individual, this, this wonderful scholar, Douglas Duckworth, who's done a number of books on Mipon, also a great translator. And uh, so his teachers, Jomei Kensei Wangpo, Kensei the Great, Jomei Kongshuo the Great, Patrol, in the words of my perfect teacher, he studied with Pacho Rimshe, and that's why he was inspired to write the commentary in the ninth chapter. He claims to have received the teachings on that from uh, Pacho Rimshe a number of times. Some lesser known teachers, and then this this long list of students. Shechen uh, Gelsup is the the sort of throne, the the seat holder of Shechen Monastery, which is where Trungpa Rimshe's teacher Shechen Kongchul hailed from Dojib Chen Rimshe is one of the most uh, important teachers in the Nyingma Dzogchen tradition. Um, Robjum Rimshe, who just visited the United States a couple of summers ago. I don't know if people had the chance to see him and meet him. Uh, he was uh, Dingo Kensa Rimshe's uh, grandson. But he's the the main uh, uh, the main tulku, the head of Sheshen Monastery, Robdrum. And I heard yesterday from Clark that uh, he is invited for next um, next yeah, year next summer. to yeah. return. Yeah, yeah, that's exciting. So he'll he'll be coming back next summer. To, was to he at the least... one that went to the Reuben? Did he do a talk at the Reuben? He did. Yes. Okay, I did, I did yeah. see that. Also, uh, teacher of Ta Laura, you have to mute again. Oh, sorry. <laughs> teacher of uh, the 11th Tai Situ, which is a Kagyu, uh, major Kagyu Tulku. Um, you know, so this is a very long list of students. This is not common. So clearly, he did a lot of teaching as well. I, isn't he the one, Derek, that they talk about as that when people look at his life, because of all he wrote, you would think that he spent his entire time writing, but then he also spent so much time in retreat that you would think he spent all his time in retreat. And I thought that teaching was the third element of that. I, I thought it was, isn't he the one they talk about with that story? I think it's it's John Gokongtrol. I, I was... Oh, is that I was, Toying oh, with okay. that story earlier, but I think it's Jamgun Kongshul, but it definitely applies to him. It, it's like the, the bunch of them Jamgun Kongshul the Great, Kongshul the Great, Kensei the Great, and Mipom. Each one of them, it's like they had at least one lifetime of teaching, one lifetime of writing, one lifetime of, of practice, all within one lifetime. <laughs> Amazing, amazingly productive beings. In between sessions, I wrote this text. I love that one. I was looking for that photo. Let me see if I can find that. Photo of me, Palm in the grave. I got a kick out of the photo of the young Dilgo Kensei. In the yeah, yeah. That's he neat. is such a, he was such a big man. Like you see it even in that picture. He's just all parts of them were so big, <laughs> large. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was like seven foot two inches. 
and he was just enormous. And they, yeah. their, nick, their nickname, everybody, his students, their, their nickname for him was Mr. Universe. <laughs> and his hands were just enormous, these huge, he would like put his hand, you know, they bless you by putting their hand on your head. And his head, his hand would just like cup your head like it was this tiny little thing. It's amazing. Well, I'll find that photo and, and circulate it. It's not coming up at the moment. Hey, hey Derek, just by, by uh, uh, chance, do you know if the hard copy corresponds to the paperback copy of the book? Because I found a hard copy that I hope is in very good shape in Boulder, and I'm kind of waiting for it to arrive. Have you seen the hard copy? Well, I have the hard copy. Oh. I don't know. I don't think there is a soft copy, is there? Yes, I thought so. I don't think it's out in Maybe soft not. cover yet. Oh, okay. I don't I think didn't so. see it online. Yeah, just, just always... the digital and the uh, hard copy. Oh, yeah. okay. When they do hard copy, they always do the hard copy first, try to get people to buy that, and then if it's successful, they'll do the the soft version. So anyway, uh, in my fog, I have neglected to uh, lead us in chants. So why don't we do the beginning and ending chants at the end? In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood from my heart, I take refuge in the three jewels. In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood from my heart, I take refuge in the three jewels. In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood from my heart, I take refuge in the three jewels. Whatever the virtues of the many fields of knowledge, all are steps on the path of omniscience. May these arise in the clear mirror of intellect. O Manjushri, please accomplish this. By this merit may all obtain omniscience. May it defeat the enemy wrongdoing from the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death. From the ocean of samsara, may I free all beings. By the confidence of the golden sun of the great east, may the lotus garden of the Rigdon's wisdom bloom. May the dark ignorance of sentient beings be dispelled. May all beings enjoy profound, brilliant glory. Thank you very much. Well, thank you all for coming tonight and joining in on this. Hi, Al. Al's joining in just in time to say goodbye. That's good. Good, good timing. Thanks, Derek. You, you see just her hand next to Oh, the there you are. Hi. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Good Take care. Thank you. Bye. Right. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night, everyone. Bye. Take care. <laughs>